then you know you're in trouble. <laughs> you know what, what I mean? Player. What a player he was. Yeah. yeah. So we go on there. Obviously, you, you continue to play for Wales. You know, great stories you just talked about. And then you, Cardiff, let's talk about Cardiff. So towards the end of your career, you go... How how was that for you being obviously a, being a Welshman as well? Yeah, what what happened was I I was playing for Bradford. Uh, I was looking back on it. I didn't realise at the time. Looking back on it, then I was alcoholic by then. Uh, so my mother wasn't very well. Uh, my dad had died years previously. He was alcoholic. My mother wasn't well, and I had a chance to go to Bristol City. I also had a chance to go to Swansea. Uh, two chances to go to Swansea, and I. I went down there on the lash for like five days and then said no twice. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> that's by the boat. Uh, so I signed for Bristol City because I could move back to Newport where, where, my, where my mother was yeah. uh, and travel over the bridge every day. Uh, so I spent a bit of time at Bristol City. To be fair to Bristol City, when I, when I talked to supporters there, they thought I was quite good, but I thought I was useless because I was alcoholic by then. And then it was even worse at Cardiff. Uh, so, you know, I left Bristol City and, and moved to Cardiff under Eddie May, who was, who was assistant manager when I was at Charlton. Uh, felt a bit sorry for him because he thought he was getting one thing which he'd seen at Charlton and he got a different, a different Mark Aiswood because I was alcoholic by then and I, I wasn't very good. I, was, I, I could play at that level because it was second division, uh, you know, but I wasn't very good. Creeped into your game and, yeah, because, you'd, because you were drinking and... You yeah, I wasn't. I was still training hard. I was still training hard, but you know, I was coming towards the end of my career, yeah. uh, and you know, I I could get through games because at that time Cardiff weren't very good, uh, and so I looked half decent, not because I was, because the rest was shit. Right. You know, uh, and that's fine, and and I knew that. I knew that, uh, and. You know, Cardiff was, and, and so I started at that point. Uh, I think I learned the Welsh language. I remember a Cardiff City season ticket holder, uh, a lovely lad called John Albert Evans said to me, you know, what are you going to do when you finish? Uh, he said, why don't you learn Welsh? And I just thought, oh, I can't be bothered. Anyway, cut a long story short, I got an injury and I was due to be out for two months. And he put me on a course. Uh, so I couldn't have any treatment. I had a hole in my leg. And... I walked into the class and it was supposed to be a learner's class for Welsh. And uh, everybody was talking Welsh to each other. And I thought, what's all this about? This is a learner's class. And then that competitive spirit in me uh, took over. And I thought, right, I ain't going to be the numpty footballer that everybody's expecting. So then my determination was to be the best in that class. And I ended up... Uh, Again, cut a long story short, winning the I Stedford. I remember uh, the I Stedford, the National I Stedford, you have to go, and it's a banquet, and the learner of the year, as they call it, uh, has to go up on a stage and you have to speak for an hour. And what everybody before me was talking all in Welsh about the beautiful hills and the poetry and the nation. I just got up there and did an after dinner speech in Welsh in, on football. Uh, and I actually won it. So I, I won the prestigious uh, Learner of the Year at the Eisteddfod. Uh, and so that stood me in good stead. I was then working for the BBC, uh, working for the Welsh FA. Uh, and things were great at the time, outwardly. But I was an alcoholic. Uh, and I knew that. 
Yeah. Uh, and, you know, when, when you work for UEFA, you have a UEFA credit card, you travel first class everywhere, you have limousines everywhere, you don't pay for a thing, you can spend what you like, blah, blah, blah. The worst possible scenario for an alcoholic. I was out of the country 20 days of each month working. Uh, and then in the end, what I started doing, I started taking my assistant out with me so he could do the work so I could drink. Yeah, and it just went up, just, it is what it is, you know? So just, just going back to you speaking Welsh, uh, through lockdown, I, I started to read up on Welsh and not going to classes, but doing it myself. And I know exactly how hard it is to, you know, to, to get the grammar and everything else. And it, it is, so hats off to you to do that. You know, I was like that then, an hour speaking in Welsh, I'd be like, you know, it's, it's a difficult language, but fair play to you, know, that's, that's decent. For the first three months, you, you can talk to old women at bus stops about the weather, that's it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Have you got to get through that phase? Uh, but I had a good teacher, God bless him, he, he did it. I had some private lessons and he, he, uh, he based everything around sport, how to learn around sport. So I can't write grammatically correct Welsh, but I can speak Wenglish. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. So if we come to the your end of your career, where did you finish your league career? Was it Cardiff? You finished your league career then? You went to... Cardiff. I finished at Cardiff and oh. I went, uh, I went places like Merthyr, I yeah. went to Aberdeen. But as I say, throughout this time, I'm just looking for somewhere, you know, to, to have a drink after games. I played for Merthyr, I was rubbish for them. Uh, Aberdeen with Cumbran. I did okay at Cumbran. I was a beautiful, wonderful human being there called Tony Wilcox. Tony Wilcox, yeah. God, God rest his soul, he, you know, he, he passed. Uh, and that, that was a good experience. And, and I, I enjoyed that because I think at that time, Barry were full-time. They were the TNS of the league as such. Yeah. Uh, they were full-time. And I think, Cumbran, I think we finished second about three seasons on the trot by a couple of points, which was a miracle, you know? Yeah. No, I remember it. Um, so then you go in work-wise then you, you're at Cumbran, but what were you doing were you working for were you a technical director then or was that was that kind of yeah I was I was uh I was working uh coaching I was I was coaching for the Welsh FA I wasn't technical director then I, I was working uh you know Cumbran and, and and different people I was working what was I working I was working for the BBC I, I was uh I had not a full-time contract with the BBC but the money was full-time and so you know, things, I, I was just able to do what I wanted to do. Uh, I'd never really missed football because I was never away from it, you yeah, know? Yeah, and, and still to this day, I'm, I'm never away from it. Uh, so I've never really been one of them footballers that, because what happens in football, as you know, you're a professional one day, then you get released, nobody takes you up, and you wake up in the morning, you've got nowhere to go. And that has an adverse effect on a lot of people's mentality, a lot of ex-footballers. But that didn't happen to me because I was working for the BBC, covering games. I was working for the Welsh FA. Then I went on to, uh, I worked for Rondacan and Taff uh, Council uh, as a development officer doing football. So I, I was in it. Uh, I got the job then as technical director from there. Good, yeah. So that's obviously, like you say, you've left, your, you've left the full-time football. You're in another role, which is, Football is, is all you know. So it's one that can, you know, keep you, your mind occupied as well. Because like you just said, one day you wake up and you're not, you're not doing any football anymore. And it, yeah, it's you're, not, you're not training every day, you know. It's, 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 it's tough for a lot of boys to take. Uh, but that didn't happen to me. Uh, but again, at this time, 
you know, I'm dealing with alcoholism. Uh, and, you know, it, it's just, it was just, uh, and what happened was, because I was on the BBC a lot on the telly, uh, you know, every other week, really, on every show. And then what was happening to me was there was a generation of people that, like your players, didn't know that I played the game. They just thought I was some opinionated type guy on the telly. And so I'd be sat in restaurants with my family and people would start giving me jip and blah, blah, blah. And then I'd have a pint and I'd like, listen, I'm having a meal with my family, you know, you can show some respect. I'd have another pint, then they'd carry on. Then I'd have another pint. In the end, I was like, I told you so, bang. You know what I mean? And so that started to happen to me a lot. Uh, and what happened was, I think I was I was working for, I then got the technical director's job. I was, I was in, I think it was Portugal. Portugal on a conference with UEFA. And then, you know, my drinking was terrible by this time. And I'd gone out there, it was in February, I remember it. Uh, and I'd been in Portugal on a UEFA conference for about seven days, solid on it. But my wife and some friends were flying to Italy because Wales were playing Italy in Rome. So I was flying from Portugal to Rome yeah. to meet up with them. So by the time I got to meet all them, they're just starting on a four or five day bender. I'm on a back end of like a seven, eight day. And so again, cut a long story short, there was an incident in the hotel uh, where I had a fight with some, some supporters about something. And then what actually happened was, and I don't know where you get this sort of strength from, I picked up this plant pot, big massive plant pot. Uh, I can't remember fighting, but I can remember coming sort of and thinking, there's like two or three guys on the floor. It must be me. So I picked up this plant pot. And for some reason, I was on a second floor and I threw her out the window. Just in, in anger, you know what I mean? And then I thought, I could have killed somebody there. Yeah. So I said to my missus, uh, I'm going. So I just grabbed, I had my UEFA credit card, which was, which was a bonus. Uh, and I said, I'm going. And I left that hotel. I think I went, I went, let's just say five flights to get back into the UK. Cause as, as I left the hotel, the police turned up because uh, of this incident. And as I, and I, and I took five flights then to get back to the UK. So I didn't have to show a passport cause I felt that they'd be waiting for me. And then during, before I left though, I remember this and, and it's well documented. So I'm not, not telling you anything nobody knows. I went across Rome to see a fellow called Tony Clemmer, who was a travel agent, said, I'm in trouble, Tony. Uh, and he, he arranged it. And then as I was walking, there was a motorway bridge. And I thought, oh, I've, had enough. I've had enough. So I stood on the bridge. Yeah. And this is documented. It's in my book. It's in, it's in the papers. And as I stood on a bridge like that, I thought to myself, people will never understand. Because I was technical director. I'm on the telly all the time, blah, 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 blah. People would say, why? Yeah. And I made the decision. And as I looked down like that, a car came under the bridge with a Welsh flag hanging out the window. And I made the decision at that exact point, And this was 2000 and June the 20th, 2005. Yeah, I think it was June the 20th. Yeah, anyway, 2005. And I made the decision, if I step down off that wall, I will never, ever, ever 
touch a drop of alcohol again. And I never have to this day. Right. To this day, I've never, ever touched a drop of alcohol again. That's, that's ever. You know, for you, since 16, no, older than that, you said you were about 18, 19, drinking, and then, yeah. and it's just become commonplace to make that decision. And obviously, you've, you know, you, you changed and whatever. I've heard people speak in, in AA meetings and that, and, and, and one thing we all have in common, and periodically I still go to AA meetings, just not because I fancy a drink, just because I like to go. And one thing you all have to have in common, whether it's drugs or drink, you can't give it up unless you have the reason, unless you hit rock bottom. Yeah. Now, people might have said, if I jumped off that bridge, he hadn't hit rock bottom. He was a top man in the Welsh FA. He was working for UEFA. He was on a telly all the time. Top man in the BBC, blah, blah. Yeah. But you'd have to understand there's other, other things. Yeah. So when I see successful people now take their life, I understand. You know, people, people don't always understand. You know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, as I say, I haven't touched a drop to this day, and I never will. Because uh, at that point in my life, you know, I was losing my family. My kids were like, couldn't trust me, blah, 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 blah. And I could never go back to that. All my kids now are as close as can be. Everything's fantastic, blah, 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 blah. And so, you know, that was the best decision I ever made. Not to step down off the wall, never to drink again. You think that yeah, it's like an, an epiphany or whatever it is, the, the, the work flag coming along? Just, you, uh... have to have, you have to have the reason, Scott. And... During that time then, I think, again, it's well documented, I got done for common assault on a, on a camera crew when I was uh, head of the FAW. But what I couldn't, when it went to court, what I couldn't say was I've been an alcoholic for like 15 years and I'd given up drink about three weeks before and my head was back and it was like a jackhammer going off in my head and it got on my nerves. I couldn't say that in court because that would have been the story. So I just had to shut up and say, yeah, I made a mistake. But the truth is, that was the truth. I'd had a jackhammer going off in my head for three weeks because if you give up, if you cut alcohol, you cut something from your body. And I've just come back uh, this week. I've been on a detox weekend in a, in a spa retreat in London. Now, depriving yourself of sugar and a cup of tea for four days, you have a look what that does to you. Made me feel dreadful. So you think I had was copious amounts of alcohol in my system for like nearly 20 years and then I stopped like that no treatment no nothing stopped like that so you can imagine what was going on in my body now that's honest that's you know like I said to you it's credit because first and foremost you said you've got to know why you want to do it people yeah. at the bottom and they've got to make the choice themselves haven't they so yeah um so we good to discuss that obviously this there's the gambling side of it as well. Obviously, I've read about the gambling side. Is that yeah? Gambling was gambling was you know when you when you're when you're a footballer and you got you know a lot of disposable cash. You finish work at one o'clock. It started at Luton. I used to go from Luton at the bottom of Canterbury Road was a William Mills. Me a lad called Ricky Hill, Brian Steen. They both went on to play for England, so they're non numpties. Uh, <clears throat> used to go down there, straight in there, bet on every race. Back to the digs, I was living at digs at the time. Bit of food, off to the dog track at night. Bang, there. Nightclub, Caesars Palace was right by my digs. Gambling on the blackjack, into bed about one or two o'clock in the morning. All start again next day. Every day. And that went on for 
And then I remember saying to my, my first wife, God bless her, uh, I went home one weekend and I said, look, if I'm going to make a, a go of this footballer thing, we better get married. And that, that ideally wasn't a reason to get married, don't get me wrong. Uh, but that, that's what happened. And then I, I, I stopped that for a period of time because now you have a, a wife and family. Yes, you have other, other responsibilities. Yeah. yeah. So that, that wasn't a major problem throughout your career, just early on, the gambling, or did that come then again towards latter? Gambling came back at the end uh, because, you know, you again, listen, uh, when you're working, when I was working for UEFA, I could get on my credit card £249 a day cash out of a cash point with no authority. Didn't have to tell anybody what it was for or anything. Yeah. Uh, if it went to 250, I had to get it signed off. And I remember one time I was on holiday and uh, somebody uh, called Andy Roxburgh, who was technical director, rang me up and said, what are you spending on your card? And I said, I'm on holiday. He said, I don't care. Spend on your card. Uh, so when you had, when you have uh, an addictive personality, I suppose they would call it these days in, in psychology sessions, and you have that amount, access to that amount of ready cash every day, it's inevitable. You know, I remember I was living in Weatherby playing for Leeds and I, I bought a racehorse and uh, it got beat by a short head about five times and I, and I thought I got, I got to end this. And I said to my wife, it was running at Ripon one night. It was, also, it was called Mark Aiswood. And I said, how much have we got in a safe? And she said, six grand. So I rang Richard Whittaker, who was a trainer, and a lad called Dean McCune, who was a jockey. I said, what's the chances tonight? And trainers and jockeys are the worst judges. They always say it's going to win. I said, it's got a chance. So I said to my missus, give me the six grand. Whatever happens, I'm coming back skint and never betting again, or I'm coming back with some money and whatever. So I went to Ripon, and it was six to one. Went off at six to one. I put the six grand on it. And I came back with, I think, 42 grand, which was a lot of money in them days. Uh, and, I, and I didn't have another bet. Oh, fair play. Good. Uh, yeah. good well, you're ahead, yeah? Well, yeah. probably ahead, but... <laughs> that's, 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 the, that's the temptation, you know? It was easy to quit if you'd lost, but I quit when, uh, when I'd won. Oh, fair play. Now, it's, you know, thanks for being honest, because I've obviously asked you before, we can talk about whatever you like, and you have said it's well-documented in, in your book and everything else as well, but... Some people don't like talking about it. Like you said, this day and age, everyone's trying to encourage. Yes, yeah, there's this campaign. Let's talk, let's talk, let's talk. I, I wrote a book, a best-selling book. I wrote it in Welsh uh, with, a, with a ghostwriter. It was a bestseller. And I did that because it was a cathartic exercise for me. Uh, subsequently, I've, I've had offers to, uh, to, to translate it into English. But I didn't want to do that because I'd, I'd achieved the exercise. Uh, it wasn't about money. You know, any, I think I donated 50 grand to uh, Tony Adams' foundation from it. And then when I went to jail, people offered me 50 grand for my prison diaries. But you have to be, you know, that whole experience, and I know we'll get on to it, uh, is an experience that I was on bail for eight years and my, and my kids had suffered enough. And I said to them when I got sentenced that it's over. Yeah. There, there, there's nothing else coming. 
when I felt that if I was to do the prison diaries, I had to do publicity, blah, 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 and it wouldn't be over for them. Uh, so it could have been 500 grand, I wouldn't have done it, you know? So sometimes you have to be true to yourself and, and, and keep your promises. And you just you just touched on that, you know, that, that experience. What when you finally got sentenced, what did you get? Four or five years? I got six years. Basically, basically uh, I was on bail for eight years, which 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 some of the other my co-defendants, it destroyed them because uh, being on bail for eight years, you, you can't really get on with your life. You never know what's coming. But I've got one of them minds, and I've always had it, where I can compartmentalise things in the back and deal with them when I have to. So I was fine. So I got on with my life. Then we got charged, which was a bit of a shock because, you know, we were looking at a, a, what I call an NFA, a no further action. Without going into the details of the case, uh, essentially what wasn't, because it was football, you know, they would have walked away from it beforehand because it was football it's high publicity and it's you know they need funding and blah blah, blah. anyway so they pursued it and eventually we got charged now what's not well documented is everybody got charged with two accounts of fraud the main one being setting up the business from the start as a fraud uh you know deliberately what's not well documented never been recorded is that i was the only one to get a not guilty on that because i didn't know I'm not going to sit here and say that I shouldn't have went to jail. I went to jail because of my uh, corporate responsibilities. So I got a not guilty and I got a guilty. But my corporate responsibilities as a director, the business went from, we were taking, we were taking nine grand a month and within weeks it went to one million a month. And what actually happened was lost control of the quality, to be fair. Now, did I know things were happening? I had a suspicion. Uh, did I stop them? No. Because when somebody's dropping, let me tell you, however, and I, and I spoke to loads of people about this, when somebody's dropping £1 million a month in your account, very difficult to say, stop it. Yeah? And I challenge anybody. And so, did I deserve to go to jail? Yes, I did. But did I, did I have any evidence that I actually did anything wrong? No, they didn't. But corporate responsibilities are director. If you look at the director's responsibilities, I went to jail on the second charge and got six years. I did uh, three and a half months in Wandsworth, which is a tough nick, it's a tough jail. But what actually helped me through the prison journey was I'm an ex-footballer, they all love football. And so I had a, a very smooth passage. You know, for the last two years of my sentence, I was working, I was leaving prison, I had my car at the prison, I was leave, driving myself to work, going to work every day, and just going back to sleep. So, you know, was it hard? Yeah, it's hard to be away from your family. Did I deserve it? Perhaps some say yes, some say no. I don't intend ever telling people the true story. What the key to it is, Scott, if you're ever in trouble, the people who are close to you know you the best. And if they walk away from you, you know you're wrong. Now, what I would say is throughout the whole process, all my family, my friends, my children, everything, all stayed close to me because they know the truth. And that's all I'll say on it. Yeah. You know, that's all I'll say on it. But it's made me a better person. It's made me say, more... I'd like to say the lessons you've learned over the last few years, the outlook yeah, now, how you, you have to take positives out of it. Now, I actually think 
and I was chasing around like a mad lunatic, blah, 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 blah. I actually think going into that environment, yeah, it's tough, you can, but I can handle myself. Yeah, so I had no fears about that. Uh, and so do I think it's extended my life? It's probably extended my life by about five years. So that three years has got me two extra years. That's how I look at it. Uh, and I'm a far more humble person. I'm far more understanding of people's problems, blah, 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 blah. And so that whole prison experience I'll put down as a positive. And if I, if I had to do three years in prison, which I did, uh, to, to have lived the life and had the experiences that I've had, it's a small price to pay because I've had a wonderful life. No, that's good. And obviously, thanks for being honest about, you know, yeah. drinking everything else. It's, it's, it's sheer, you know, it's, hopefully people will listen to it and it's a journey. Life's a journey anyway, isn't it? We all make mistakes and, and you learn from everything, don't you? Yeah, and unfortunately for me, you know, and I, and I say to people, you know, that I see youngsters now and I see them on Instagram and Twitter and blah, blah, and trying to get a profile. And I say to them sometimes, be careful. Because if you get a profile, you might not actually like it. You know, when you consider I played my last game of professional football probably 30 years ago. But anything that happens to me, ex-footballer, blah, 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 blah. People, and it's just the way it is. And I've had the benefits of that. And there is a downside to it. But as I said to you, if I, if I had the chance, you know, I've played with and against some of the best players that the world has ever produced. And if I had the chance to do it all again, I would. Really good. I always ask about any regrets. You know, in, in your story, you've, you've already mentioned that these, th these things happen for a reason. So I, I assume you probably haven't got many regrets. No, I, 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 I have to say, and, and I don't mean in an arrogant or facetious way, life is sometimes mapped out for you. And it's how you deal with the rubbish that comes your way, dictates, you know. I've had some wonderful times. I've got a wonderful family, a uh, wonderful wife. Uh, and I've, I've enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, do I regret drinking? No, because I wouldn't have had the experiences I've had. Do I regret going to jail? No, because I wouldn't be closer to my family as I am now and blah, blah, blah. Do I regret, have I, have I hurt anybody uh, in terms of physical hurt? With, with, no, I didn't, because uh, that would be a, a regret. Obviously, you can never. And I think that in life, if you're talking about things that happen to people, there's certain things that you can't in life ever come back from. Uh, you know, if I'd have gone to jail, for instance, for paedophilia or blah, 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 there's no coming back from that. And, and I understand that and I support that. I went to jail because somebody fiddled some paperwork. I didn't hurt anybody. Can I come back from that? Do people still respect me? Yes, they do. There's some people pleased that I went to jail because they don't like me. Yes, they are. And uh, I've had that since the age of 14 or 15. And you know, once you start getting a bit of success, uh, you know, and unfortunately for me, if you asked even now at my age, most people in Wales uh, for an opinion of me, most people will have an opinion. The vast majority of them people have never spoken a word to me in my life or never met me, but they'll have an opinion. And what you have to do uh, if you're in that position is learn to take no notice of that. If the people that actually know me and are close to me and understand me think that I'm an asshole, then I got a problem. But unfortunately, or fortunately, they don't. 
And so the people that do say, oh, Mark is what is this? I don't, I don't care because they don't know you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you have to, you have to be content with that. Uh, that comes with experience because when you're younger, you just want to please everybody, peer pressure, yeah. social media. The more experience you get, you just think, I'll do it my way. And it the, people, so, the people, your family, they're the only things that matter. Your friends. People, people who don't know you don't matter. Their opinion doesn't matter. You know, There's, people have opinions about you as a, as a manager of TNS, and some will say you didn't deserve to get the sack, and some will say you did, and blah, blah, blah. You and only you yeah, know yeah. the truth. Yeah. And that's all that matters, mate. That's all that matters. And, you know, it'd be great to see you in another role soon. I don't know if you're actively seeking a role. I hope you are. I hope the TNS and yeah. the, the, the Mike Harris experience hasn't put you off. Bless his no, soul. No, because, you know, look, I was there 20 years. I was there at the football yeah. club 20 years as player, head of yeah. youth, assistant, and then manager. So I'm fortunate that I've been there as a player in one things and as manager. And like you say, was it the best thing to be manager there, first of all? Who knows? But it'll only stand me in good stead for you. Your career from this point on will dictate that, whether it was or it wasn't. Yeah. You know? Uh, but what you'll certainly find is things you took for granted at TNS, if you, if you get a job in a different environment, you know, they won't be there. It's like, it's like playing. When you're playing international football and then, you know, things you take for granted with the colleagues you're playing with, the, the following week you might be playing... In a, in a championship game, them things, you can't take them for granted anymore. And so you have to adapt yourself. And it's the same with coaching. You know, the, the old philosophy of adapt or die, that's the same with coaching. I don't know, you don't know. What you, what you had at TNS, you knew every day how many you're going to have on a training ground, blah, 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 blah. In other environments, you don't know. You don't know. You plan a session, you turn up, and you think, I've only got like 14 players, what am I going to do? And, and that... Is a, is, is, is a good experience to have. And I think that perhaps people should go through that first before getting to the other stage. Yeah. You know, I, I think that serves them in good stead. In the old days, people used to do their apprenticeship in smaller clubs and move on to big clubs. With the, with the advent of social media and personality and followers and sponsors and blah, 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 you get people like Frank Lampard going straight into Chelsea with really with 30 odd games experience at Derby. Was that the right thing for him? No, he's probably finished his career, to be fair, in my opinion. Uh, but he may have been a fantastic manager if he'd have done his apprenticeship, like your Alex Ferguson's and them did. No, I totally agree. Um, just a couple more things, and the Euros run at the moment. What what managers do you like? You know, what managers do you think? You know, they're, they're decent in the Premiership or even even worldwide. You know, who do you who do you like watching and listening to? You know, yeah. Years ago, uh, a manager ran the club and he had an influence over everything from the first team down to the reserves, down to the youth team, blah, blah, blah. It's changed now. And what they do now, they employ managers to get results for first team. Uh, they're, they're copying the continental in club football. They're copying years and years ago, you had sporting clubs on a continent and everything stayed the same, but they changed the first team manager if results weren't right. In this country, what what has happened and what still happens to a certain extent is the manager gets the sack, his mate is a youth team manager, his mate is a reserve team manager, his mate's the academy manager, so they change a lot and he, he takes him to another club. You know, Mark Hughes had a wonderful career, he's taken Eddie Nidswicky, Mark Bowen, Baba, everywhere he's gone. There's nothing wrong with that. What I'm saying is the system's wrong. The system now is better that they employ you, 
you get results for the first team, the rest of the club runs itself. You don't get involved in that. And on, on that, it's a different animal now. And it's a different animal. And what, what they have to be, I think managers now, the modern manager has to be a psychologist. He has to be a diplomat. He has to be, he has to be dishonest to a certain extent because he knows he can't tell players what he actually thinks of them because they're bigger personalities than him. Yeah. And the club will sooner change him than them. So they become a sort of false personality somehow, you know. Uh, and I see it all the time now. Managers running on the pitch and hugging and, you know, smiling with players. And, and, and I think, is that true or is that like... Is that for everyone else to see, the cameras? really have to do that, you know what I mean? And so it's a difficult job. It's a well-paid job, uh, but it wouldn't be for me. It never was for me. When I went to work with Rushy at Chester, you know, it, it was... I didn't want it. I didn't want to do that. I never wanted to be a full-time football manager. Uh, you know, doing a job and living your life and doing a part-time football manager and keeping that involvement, that's all I ever wanted. I didn't want to be a football manager. Uh, and so, you know, I was delighted when, when Rushy said to me after about a couple of weeks, we all get out of here, this is shite. Uh, and he did. So, but I, I would never go back to it. You know what I mean? Uh, would I go back to part-time football now? Quite possibly, I do feel that uh, there's a part of me that has a, a tad of unfinished business at Carmarthen because I feel if I didn't go to jail, they'd have never went down. Uh, and so is there a part of me that wants to go back there or would go back there and get them back up and walk away? Yes, there is. Uh, there's also a part of me that says, I can't be doing with all the asshole. Uh, so, yeah, the Euros, I think the best you, team you, I've you, seen you so far. So Italy, I think. Yeah. Best team for me have been Italy. Very good. Uh, I think Wales were very poor in the first game. I think they kick off in a few hours, five o'clock, I think. Uh, it's a must-win game for Wales. I can't see them being it, beat, beating Italy. I've got to be honest with you. Uh, my, you know, the second best team, as much as it hurts me to say, I think England. Uh, I think they have a genuine, you know, every tournament, don't they? They say England are this. Yeah. I think it's true this time. I think they do have a genuine chance of winning it. I think the manager uh, is a very, very strong personality. I think 99.9% .9 of managers in this situation would have picked Grealish. He didn't. And he set himself up there. He opened himself up for the biggest amount of tripe from the press to come his way if they didn't win that game. Now, what he's done is he said, I'm the man. And I think, I think that that is a big asset to that England setup. I think because I don't. Th I think he is his own man. Uh, and it's very difficult sometimes to. We spoke about it very early on in this conversation about philosophy and your beliefs, and not letting outside influences change that. Sticking by them. You would have had it from Mike. I know Mike's an interfering so and so at TNS. He has opinions. He has strong opinions, and sometimes. As the owner, you have to listen to him because he's the owner. But you have to then be able to say, yeah, but I remember watching uh, or being part of a UEFA lecture with Roy Hodgson in his early days when he was manager of Blackburn. And the owner was a fellow called Jack Warner, I think it was, used to live in Jersey. <clears throat> he said, and every day, around about half past nine, when I'm just getting ready to go out to training, the phone would go and it was Jack and he wanted to speak to me. He said, 
And I used to do it, he said, and gradually I started putting him onto my assistant, Ray Arford. He said, and as I did that, we lost that relationship. And the next manager of Blackburn was Ray Harford. Mm. So in, it, with, with the owners, they have to deal with them. The owners, uh, you know, they don't understand the culture of British football. They don't understand the, the culture of the fans, how it's, how it's almost a religion to them. They see it as a business. Look at the Cronkies at Arsenal. Uh, you know, look at Abramovich at Chelsea. Look at this farce that we had with the European Super League where fans or managers, for that instance, weren't even consulted. They just decided to join. And that, that said something to the mod, about the modern game to me, that it's, it's, it's run by people who, you know, it is a religion, you know, for the, for the fans. Uh, but the foreign owners don't understand that. And so there's a, there's a you know, a, a reluctance to employ British managers. I, I do think that the British, having travelled around Europe coaching with UEFA, I do think that the British system in terms of coaching is one of the best, uh, closely followed by the Germans and the Dutch. Uh, but there seems to be a, a reluctance to put the lads into positions who have come through the British system. Uh, and that's a cultural thing. Whether that will ever change, I don't know. But the game is certainly different now, Scott. It's a different game to what I played, yeah. you know? It's a different game. Uh, the demands of the game are the same. You still have to get the ball in the opposition penalty box and you have to put it in the net and things like that. The demands of the game are the same, but it's a different game. It is. Guardiola, Klopp, Mourinho. Who's your, who's your favourite out of those three? I used to, I used to enjoy... Uh, listening to Mourinho at one time. But then my own opinion is that something's happened to him that's just turned him into, his, yeah, into a miserable social. Yeah, he, he lost that. He lost that. He lost that star quality. You know, years ago, if you remember, you might remember, Brian Clough was the same. People would listen to him. I would listen to him intently. But then as it got on, it just become drivel. Yeah. And I think... Mourinho has been part of that. Uh, Klopp, you know, he, he's a diplomat. He, he, he could be, you know, a diplomat at the United Nations because it, when everything goes well, it's the players. When it doesn't go well, it's his fault and blah, blah, blah. He's a diplomat and he, he's, a, he, he's, you know, is he tactically astute? It appears that way, but Klopp's in a, Klopp and Guardiola and them are in a little bit of a situation where where maybe you had at TNS, sometimes you can sit back and just let your players play. Uh, and because you've got the best players and you know that if you've got the best players, they will make the vast majority of right decisions. Uh, and so is that an easy job? No, because it's a different job because then you've got the politics of the club and the politics of the players to deal with. And I think Guardiola does that fantastic. I think Klopp does that fantastic. I like watching Man City. Uh, because I think they just, they just, they're a delight to watch. The modern game is, you know, the, the close, the close skills, the close control in tight areas is different than it was in my day. And that's because nobody's allowed to tackle. And so they're allowed to do that. It's not that the players in my day didn't have them close skills. They'd just be snapped in half or smashed in the air. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't happen now. You see people 
intricate little movements, getting out of tight areas. You think, how oh, they get out of there? Well, they got out of there because nobody tackles. And it's like going on a coaching course and they animate the session on the board and all this and that. And you've seen it because you've done it. And I feel like saying the problem with that is nobody tackles or nobody makes a mistake. Yeah. So it's a different world, but it's a world that I've, I've thrived in and I've loved for 50 odd years and I wouldn't change it. Do you think it's, uh, it's better at the moment or do you think football 70s, 80s, 90s was, was at its peak? Do you, you know, we, we've talked about things that can affect this, certainly pitches, coach education, but what era would you prefer if you could have the one? Listen, I, I, I would answer that by saying, do I think all the top players of my day could have played in today's game? Yes, without a shadow of a doubt. Do I think all the players playing in the Premiership could have been top players in my day? I don't think so. Because you needed some slightly different attributes. Like you say, when you're running on Derby County's pitch, which is full of sand and the ball weighs about a tonne and it hurts when it hits you and it doesn't go all different directions because it weighs about two ounces and your boots are rock hard, it takes you six weeks to break in a pair of boots, blah, 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 blah. But people snapping you in the air, you've got one camera, you've got people punching you off the ball, elbowing you, blah, blah, blah. You can't do any of that now because, you know, it, it's, there's like eight, nine, ten cameras at every game. And so they don't need certain attributes. But in could they have played in my day when they needed them attributes? Some of them couldn't. I, I make no bones about that. And that's not saying my day's better. I'm just saying that some of the attributes that they need today, uh, what, that they needed in my day, some of them don't possess. Could I'll give you an example. In just my opinion, could David Luiz had played against uh, Joe Jordan? Do me a favour. Not a Joe chance. Was, um, Joe was assistant manager at Stoke when I was there back in the day. Super. Yeah. Like, just learning off you know, what he did and what he said. Super. You know, brilliant, brilliant. Could David Luiz had man-marked Joe Jordan? So, you know, that, that's, 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 that's probably a decent example. But David Luiz has been a top centre-half in the modern game. Don't get me wrong. Could he be in a top centre-half against people when every team had a Joe Jordan? I don't think so. Good stuff. To finish on then, best player of your era, best player right now? Uh... I would say that the best player has to have been because his longevity proved that, and unfortunately he's hit some tough times, would be the boy Giggsy. You know, he could have played any position on a field and been world-class, mate. Yeah. Any position. Uh, you know, so that's a general all-round position. Best finisher, Rushy, you know. Uh, but the best player of his generation is longevity, and, and he could have played anywhere, would be Giggsy. Yeah. Best player now... I think, you know, the, if you look at the best player, uh, the best, one of the players I liked and admired in the modern day game, and he had some tough times, was John Terry, because he was old fashioned defender, surviving in the modern day game. Uh, you know, you're talking about, people always talk about best players in terms of, and everybody starts thinking the number 10s and all the little dribblers and all the fancy bits. You know, you have to say Ronaldo's been phenomenal. You know, he's, he's been incredible over a 
over a period of time for different clubs. So perhaps in the modern day era, perhaps Ronaldo would be the best. Yeah, great stuff. It's been uh, it's been longer than usual, but it's been excellent. Really enjoyed it. You know, lots of good stories out there, and um, glad to hear you're doing. Um, you know, you're doing okay as well. And you've obviously said there about would you be a coach or a manager or assistant again? You haven't ruled that out, which is nice because I think you've still got loads to offer. So, um, you know, thank you very much for your time. No problems, mate. Been a pleasure and I wish you well with your search for new employment, mate. Thanks very much. And hopefully, hopefully come across you soon. All right. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.